Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mike. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Mike. I can't believe that I, I finally get to ask you this during what feels like our millionth remote recording of Gadget Lab due to the pandemic, but... Are you taking any trips this summer? Yes, I am. Uh, I've got two trips on the books, one for June, one for July. Oh, yeah. The July one was the one that I think I was just going to tag along, right? That's right. Yes. I sort of invited myself to Yosemite. Thank you. So is, is this travel stressing you out at all? Uh, a little bit, but I'm mostly looking forward to it. Well, that doesn't surprise me, given what a chill dude you are. But we're going to talk <laughs> all about summer travel <laughs> and how it might be a little more stressful than you anticipated on today's Gadget Lab. Hey everyone, welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I am a senior editor at Wired. We're also joined by Wired transportation writer Arian Marshall, who's joining us from Washington, D.C. Arian, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's get moving. This week, we're talking about travel. So you've probably noticed that the U.S. is well on its way to opening back up. California, where Mike and I are, just lifted all of its COVID restrictions this week, and people are out and about. And, you know, for vaccinated people, that may mean maskless grocery store shopping, going to bars again, and yes, travel. So today in the second half of the show, we're going to take a look at how transit agencies are trying to lure people back onto public transit. But first, let's talk about the hot vaxxed summer and why your plans for that long awaited vacation may come to a screeching halt when you go to book your rental car. So Ariane, what is going on with rental cars? Explain this for us, please. Yeah, so this is a kind of a a perfect storm here that's that's gone on. So during the pandemic, and even a little before the pandemic, some of the big uh, rental car companies in the country, that's like Hertz and Avis and those kind of guys, um, that no one was needed rental cars during the pandemic. So they sold off a lot of their cars and they also didn't buy new cars. Um, and as a result, um, as business starts to come back, they have a lot fewer cars than they did, you know, like 15 months ago. Another problem that's come up now is that there's this semiconductor shortage, which has really affected a ton of the industries we follow at Wired, but specifically 
the automotive industry. Um, and so there aren't a ton of new cars for these rental companies to buy. So once you get to that rental car uh, counter at the airport, once you arrive, uh, you may find that it's you kind of have to like duke it out with the guy next to you for, uh, you know, whatever remaining stuff they have at the counter. I had an experience the other day where I went onto kayak.com. You know, typically when you use kayak for any kind of travel booking, you just get this glut of responses because they're, the site is indexing from so many different sources around the web. And I was looking specifically at uh, one of the Hawaiian islands, just for curiosity's sake, plugged in some dates in July, put, you know, hit rental car. And it was the first time I think I've ever used kayak in my life that literally nothing came up. There were like, there were no results for that week. And I was like, Wow, I mean, I, you could not get a rental car. Uh, another friend of mine was telling me that uh, on Maui, where he is, where he lives, that uh, the locals are taking unkindly to people who have decided to rent U-Hauls and use them as their vacation trucks because it's so difficult. <laughs> is that a thing to get a rental car? I don't know. That was, it's very much an anecdote, but according to this person who happens to be a journalist, this this was a thing. Um, my question, though, Ariane, about what you said about the rental car companies having sold off inventory but also not purchased new inventory, how frequently do rental car companies typically buy new fleets? So that's a great question, and I don't totally know the answer to it. But what I do know is that rental car companies are actually a huge source of the used car market in this country. Um, so weirdly, as this kind of works down the supply chain, there's also, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you might notice that it's hard to find a used car. And rental car companies are actually contributing to that because they aren't um, getting rid of the vehicles uh, that they, in the ways they used to, because they just don't have vehicles to get rid of. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about uh, the middle part of the equation, which is the airplane trip. <laughs> um, we all have seen reports that air travel is coming back. People are flying again. Uh, what sorts of precautions are agencies like the FAA and the TSA taking in order to like make sure that the coronavirus isn't spread on airplanes again, like it did at the start of the pandemic? Are they are they requiring people to be vaccinated, you know, other policy changes? So my understanding of the way it's working right now is that a lot of airlines are setting their own policies. So most have gone back to, I think almost all of them have gone back to seating people in the middle seat again, which is a, a bummer for travelers, but probably good for the airlines so that they can start making money again. Um, they are not, I don't believe there are any in the U.S. that require proof of vaccination or something like that before you get on a plane. There are some particular destinations that require it. So if you're flying overseas, there are some places that require that you prove that you're vaccinated. Um, but that's not the case domestically. Um, and they're also asking that you wear masks, um, especially if you're not vaccinated. And it's created this weird... Um, it just based, I haven't been on a plane for a while, but based on some reporting I've read, it's created this weird situation, uh, particularly for people who staff airplanes, um, who are feeling kind of uncomfortable in this weird gray area. We found ourselves where, you know, some people say, I don't need to wear a mask anymore. Some people are really into wearing masks. Um, and I think there's, uh, now that there's more people on planes, it's hard to really enforce the rules, which is all to say, if you do fly, Pay, pay attention to what the people are telling you and follow rules, people. Don't be mean. 
What do you think are some of the airline changes that will stick from this time? For example, we know that the airlines were blocking middle seats so that people could have a little bit more space. And now for the most part, I mean, I just flew a few weeks ago, the plane was packed. People were definitely occupying middle seats. Um, they're not gonna stay empty forever because airlines at the end of the day want to make money. But I'm wondering if airlines will take this as an opportunity to cut other costs, um, like never serve free drinks again or start to charge even more for um, carrying on luggage or checking bags and that sort of thing. How do you think this will fundamentally change our flying experience? I'm, I'm not sure there'll be any sort of big lasting changes to this dip. So like after September 11th, for example, we saw airlines create all these new fees. They started bringing on more baggage fees. And I don't, I don't think we'll see that um, following this, you know, huge dip in business. And I think that's partially because they're seeing that, um, you know, as you observed on your flight, that, that uh, people are coming back to flying super quickly. Um, so, so I don't think there are any specific plans in the works to make anything permanent. One change that is happening that's sort of not related to the pandemic, but that I've been keeping my eye on is that uh, there are new rules out of the FAA um, that airlines don't have to accommodate emotional support animals, which is like a little loophole that a lot of people used to use to get their dogs onto planes. They would just like have a uh, mental health professional write them up a letter that was like, this is definitely an emotional support animal. Um, and a lot of airlines are cracking down on that. So I'm actually, I'm going to LA soon and we are bringing our 11 pound dog on the flight. And we are, we've, we've always paid for him, but now, you know, we're still definitely paying for him. And I think his ticket is like as much as ours somehow. <laughs> um, so that'll be sort of a shock to some people as they get back on uh, flights after this break. I'm sure we'll hear all about it on Twitter. I also think it's fair <laughs> to say that during the pandemic, particularly for those who have been working from home nonstop, that our pets did become emotional support animals, whether it's official yes. or not. Yes, but also like I am his emotional support human in a way that's a little <laughs> problematic now. So we're working on it. What I hear you describing is a codependent relationship, Ariane. <laughs> yes. So what is going on with the cruise industry right now? Yeah, so this is this isn't an industry I follow super closely. Um I've I've never personally been on a cruise and I don't really all power to cruisers and people who keep that great industry afloat. Um that ain't <laughs> that ain't me. Um so I won't be getting on a cruise anytime soon. Um but I wish them the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ariane, that was so diplomatic. I mean, you really, you, <laughs> much better than the note I left in the script expressing my true feelings about cruises. Uh, all right. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk all about public transit and uh, frankly, how excited I am to get back to using it. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. So during the past year and a half of the pandemic, ridership on public transit basically plummeted. A lot of desk workers were staying home or People just didn't feel safe packing into a subway car with lots of other people. And like airlines and other travel services, public transit agencies took a big financial hit. But as people start to get moving again, cities and transit agencies are trying to lure people back onto public transit. Ariane, you've been reporting this out for Wired, and you've been looking into how transit agencies are they're kind of trying some out-of-the-box tactics to get riders back. So what are they offering people and will this work? Yeah, so this is, um, I've talked to a bunch of people that run transit agencies and then also the people that take transit. And I think the entire industry really recognizes that this is a really important moment um, because they do want to get riders back on transit, both because you know they want more customers, but also because transit is so important to cities, like public health goals, their climate goals. You always want to get more people out of cars, onto the bus, onto the trains. So this is a really important moment where agencies know that as people slowly start to go back to work, they are forming new habits. Maybe they got really into biking over uh, the pandemic because it felt safer. And, uh, you know, do cities want people to stick with biking? Do they want them back in cars? Probably not. Do they want them to take the bus sometimes? Probably yes. So agencies are getting a little bit more nimble um, and thoughtful about how to to get people to use their services. Um, one thing that is maybe doesn't sound so out of the box, but is like pretty interesting is that they're offering fare reductions. Um, BART, for example, in San Francisco anticipates a lot of people are gonna be going back to work in September. Um, so they are offering half off Clipper cards for the month, uh, which is the, the fare card you use to get on uh, to BART. Um, they're doing a similar thing in New Orleans. Um, and then some, some transit agencies and transit advocates have really sort of taken advantage of the pandemic by pushing a, a longstanding hoped for, uh, agenda item, which is free fares and particularly free fares for students, free fares for people who have lower incomes for whom it's, you know, relatively more expensive to take transit. So LA, for example, has actually committed to running a 23 month pilot. They're not quite sure when it's going to start, but soon they're going to start a pilot where they, um, anyone from K to 12 and then also people in community college, uh, will have access to free fares on Metro. Um, and then eventually they'll also move it to uh, just the kind of wider, uh, lower income population in Los Angeles. Uh, Boston is also looking into something similar. And Kansas City um, decided in March to just stop charging for their bus and light rail system. Uh, so this is a, a, a kind of big movement that's that's gained steam and is really 
sort of interesting and the finances are interesting and agencies are trying to work out how to pay for it. Um, but, but could be a big change when things open up again. One of the big changes that a lot of cities made at the start of the pandemic was when they saw ridership plummet, they cut a lot of service. And now I notice cities are having a bit of a difficulty ramping that service back up to pre-pandemic levels. How's that going? Yes, that's that's definitely uh, something that's true and, and something that agencies are doing, much like other parts of government and all sorts of businesses, are trying to kind of look into the future and figure out, are people going to be going back to work full time? Are they going to be telecommuting a few days a week? Um, when are people going to be traveling? When do we need to provide service for people who are traveling? And what sort of people are traveling? Are there going to be, uh, you know, more shift workers? Are there going to be more office workers? Are there going to be more childcare people on the move? All those people have different needs. Um, so actually something interesting that, that has also been going on during the pandemic is, um, agencies r- really using this time to rethink how their schedules work. So if all if those nine to fivers aren't going back to the downtown office in the way they were before, um, does it make sense for agencies to actually run trains or buses more frequently throughout the day so that they can serve more of those shift workers, more of those childcare workers, more of those people who have the, you know these schedules that we kind of think is a traditional but are actually becoming much more common um, over the past thirty years or so. Um, and this is really part of some bigger conversations that have, uh, I think, really come out of the the murder of George Floyd and uh, things that happened last summer, uh, real sort of pushes for social justice in all parts of American life. People in the transit industry are asking, how can we make sure that our services are really serving the communities that live where we are, whether they are people of color, whether they're women, uh, whether they're lower income? Ariane, there was a period of time last year, I think, primarily when cities were focused on sanitizing public transit. Um, And in some ways, we've now started to identify this as pandemic theater. But for example, in May of 2020, uh, the MTA in New York City said it had purchased 150 UV light machines. They'd spent a million dollars on it, and they were running a pilot program to basically try to sanitize the subway. Is that still happening? Like, are, are cities still trying to clean public transit better or more effectively? And what do we know now about what needs to actually happen on public transit in order to make it relatively safe from pathogens? Yeah, so I think um, much like even during the pandemic, when we were still kind of learning about things, there's this interesting gap between what the science says that we have to do and what agencies need to do to make people comfortable, even if it's not totally scientifically valid. So um, I think a lot of uh, agencies' internal surveys have shown that people really like when the subway or the bus is cleaner. Um, it costs the agencies a lot of money, so it's something they have to balance. But I think they're also realizing that if they do want to get people back on the bus, um, they're going to have to keep cleaning in the way that they learned over the pandemic even if you know science shows that it's not something you're necessarily going to pick up from touching the wrong surface, we now know that it's you know mostly respiratory. Um, but people like stuff to be cleaner, and uh, you know, clean is good. Uh, as long as the kids on the twelve Folsom keep smoking the blunts in the back seat, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> they're, they're cleansing the air. <laughs> yes, clean is indeed good. And and Mike, I want to ride whatever bus you're riding. Okay, so one observation. It's it's not running right now. That's true. I have we, this, no idea when it's going to come back. Is that the bus that we took to? That's the bus that we took from the office to the bar that time. 
Yeah, it runs when I had a from date. like the office to my house. Right. Yes. I had a date and you accompanied me to my date like a like a good friend and colleague. <laughs> I did not. You know, you, you you were making sure I was getting there. Okay. She escorted. Okay, yes. You. <laughs> that was a one and done. Okay, so another observation that people have been making is that in certain areas it's been more challenging to get an Uber or a Lyft and that prices have increased. So what's causing this? Is it fewer drivers? Um are Uber and Lyft jacking up prices in an attempt to maybe someday actually turn a profit? What's happening here? Yeah, so um, not to toot my own horn about this, but I actually wrote about this much earlier this spring um, because it was something that the ride hail companies were like very subtly signaling that they were worried about, um, which is the the first thing you mentioned, the, the driver shortage issue. Um, there are, and they have a few kind of theories about why drivers aren't coming back in the way they, they used to. Um, uh, one is that they are still a little nervous about their health, uh, which is totally fair. And when you drive for Uber, for example, you're kind of like trapped in a car with another person. And even if everyone's wearing a mask, you still might not feel safe doing that. Um, and then another thing they think is that, um, which, you know, this doesn't necessarily say good things about our economy or these companies, but that um, people are feeling much more secure um, financially because of all the stimulus that people got over the pandemic from the federal government. And they're not feeling the need to kind of hustle on that second job, uh, which, you know, could be delivering for DoorDash or driving for Uber or Lyft in the way that they did before. So they're just not coming back. Um, so as a result, you are seeing uh, higher prices. Um, some people are having, as you said, a really hard time getting timely rides um, I, there was a, uh, Ford executive who I think spent like $200 going from Manhattan to JFK a few weeks ago, which is much more expensive than it used to be. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's can be rough out there for ride hail. And I think much like flight attendants, um, Uber and Lyft and, uh, drivers are dealing with some of the same issues where some people don't want to wear masks. They're over it. Uh, even if they're not vaccinated, they don't believe in vaccines for whatever reasons. And they have to deal with those sort of interpersonal issues without, you know, the flight attendants have a union. Um, but, uh, Uber and Lyft drivers are independent contractors technically. So, uh, they don't have a lot of help or backup in dealing with, unruly passengers, people that are drunk because uh, it's hot vac summer and that's what people are doing now. Right. Um, so it's it's yeah. like not a, necessarily a fun job right now. Right. I mean, Uber and Lyft drivers were dealing with a lot before the pandemic and in some cases working really long days and long hours just trying to eke out a living. Um, and, you know, of course, sharing their profits with Uber and Lyft, the platform owners. And now on top of it, to have concerns about their health or people just being unruly or inconsiderate, um, I could see how you'd be resistant to going back to driving or driving full time. And the takeaway from that, people, is don't be an asshole to your Uber or Lyft driver or your flight attendant, for that matter. Right, right. And if and I've also heard stories from drivers where they say, you know, I came and picked this person up, but they had been waiting for a half an hour to get picked up and they were mad at Uber and they yelled at me. But like, your driver has nothing to do with Uber's like matching algorithm. So don't take it out on them. I can imagine um, when Uber Pool and Lyft Line eventually come back, they're not back in the app yet, as far as I know. But I imagine that when they do appear, it's going to be quite different than it was 
a year and a half ago? Yeah, I think it's actually really sort of an open question whether those services will come back at all. There's been um, some interesting reporting that have come out of places like uh, BuzzFeed and Business Insider in the past year or so that have showed that those services have been huge money losers for Uber and Lyft. Um, really inefficient. Um, they've worked a lot on the algorithms that have matched people and it's gotten a lot better. Um, but I don't, that was not, that was not like a winning, uh, part of their service. And, uh, they may find that it doesn't make sense to bring it back. Or as you said, they'll bring it back and it'll look really different and it'll be more expensive than it used to be. Ariane, this has been super illuminating. Um, Let's take another quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to share our recommendations with all of you. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. All right, Ariane, as our guest of honor this week, what is your recommendation? Okay, so we, uh, I have recently beefed up my car camping gear um, because that feels like that's going to be my hot back summer as I'm going to go sleep in the woods a lot. Um, so I just bought a collapsible tea kettle to use on a camping stove, but it can be used on any uh, sort of stove. And I just like it because it's so easy to store. And, you know, when you travel again after being inside forever, it's nice to have your little caffeine device with you at all times. And it just kind of slides into a suitcase or a backpack. And I'm just very pleased by it. It's like this little silicon collapsy thing. That would be silicone. It's a little silicone collapsy thing. <laughs> Good thing it's not silicon because there'd be a global shortage of the collapsible tea kettles. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> this sounds really cool and I would be very tempted to buy it, mostly because I just think foldable and collapsible things sound cool and because they're aspirational. Like like maybe sometime this summer I will get out and sleep in the woods, Ariane, um, like you're doing. And so like just in case, might need the collapsible tea kettle. Absolutely. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Ariane, every time you come on the show, I end up with uh, a recommendation that is thematically appropriate. And this time is no different because I'm going to recommend a book. It's by David Byrne, uh, frontman of Talking Heads and songwriter and performer of his own right. You might know him from David Byrne's American Utopia. He wrote a book uh, about 10 or 12 years ago called Bicycle Diaries. And I read it when it was new and it I was looking through my Kindle, looking for something to read, and I saw it, and I started reading it a second time, and it is just as delightful, so I want to recommend it. Um, David Byrne kept a blog. I think he still does keep a blog. He's just, like, always producing stuff on the internet. He's always writing. He has a radio show. And uh, this is sort of like blog entries uh, from the period of around the the aughts, like, mid-2000s to about 2008, 2009, where he was traveling around the world. He takes a folding bike with him 
and then unfolds it and rides around the city that he's in. And he writes these beautiful diaries, not only about like the cycling infrastructure in the city, but about the architecture and the fashion and the food and the nightlife and all the crazy adventures he gets into. Uh, it's really delightful. And it's like one of the best travel books. David Byrne is also a very singular writer. Uh, he has uh, a really efficient and economical writing style and a real dry wit. Um, and it's just delightful and fun and breezy. So if you like David Byrne and if you like bikes and if you like travel writing, it's like right at the middle of that Venn diagram. This is like the perfect recommendation for you. This is everything you're into, Mike. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's also a lot, it's also like a lot of things that a bunch of people are into, which is why I like recommending things like that. Also, we didn't really talk too much about bikes this episode, and I know that like that's a big part of the cities and the way that people experience cities, and it has grown exponentially over the pandemic. So maybe there are people out there who weren't cyclists a couple of years ago who now love it. And they also love David Byrne, and they didn't know this exists. We should do. We should do a whole other podcast about bikes. What do you think? I mean, sign me up. All right. Yeah. Or, or we could do a whole episode about what your recommendation is. I don't know if it would take up an entire episode, but my recommendation this week is the Lindbergh Snyder Porterhouse and Roast Seasoning. <laughs> Grilled meats. <laughs> that, that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't eat meat for, I don't know, five years, maybe I gave up meat. And then I, I went back to it last year. And um, so I started cooking meat again. And I can't say that that was like necessarily a pandemic hobby. It's not like I got like really, really good at it or took it really seriously. I wasn't like I didn't like make brisket. Um, but, I, you know, I was cooking more meat than I had for several years prior. And um, recently I was at a friend's house and she did a great job with me and I was like, what are you using? And she said Lindbergh Snyder Porterhouse and Rose Seasoning. And it's been around forever. It's like, I don't know, it's not expensive. It's, you know, $11 for 14 ounces. And um, it's just, it's great for barbecuing. Um, you don't necessarily have to just put it on beef or poultry or seafood. You can put it on vegetables as well. It's this nice combination of different herbs and spices. Um, and I really like it. So, yeah, I recommend just having it in your pantry as a staple. It'll probably last forever. Does it work on veggies? It does work on veggies. Yeah, it works quite well on like veggies. Like to tofu steaks. Yeah, tofu steaks, asparagus. Um, it's got salt, garlic, onion, black pepper, oregano, paprika, parsley, celery, rosemary, and then, just for good measure, silicon dioxide. So this is very much like a <laughs> silicon-themed show. Let's hope there's not like a global shortage of porterhouse seasoning um, because it has <clears throat> silicon dioxide in it, but that's just an, that's an anti-caking agent. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Uh, that's my recommendation this week. Very nice. That's a good rub. And therein lies the rub. <laughs> okay, that is our show. Thank you again, Ariane, for joining us. Thank you for having me, per usual. It's so lovely to be here. And hopefully we'll be able to fly or take trains and see each other all in person again very soon. Yes, please. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to Gadget Lab. If you have feedback, we, we really do love hearing it. You can find all of us on Twitter. We'll put our Twitter handles in the show notes. You can also email us. Um, our DMs are open. We just, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And this show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. And until then, stay well, stay healthy. And don't be assholes to your Lyft and Uber drivers.
Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From PR.